Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and our guest today is Mirza Denai, 2019 Aurora Prize laureate for Awakening Humanity and founder of the House of Coexistence in Sinjar. Mirza and I will discuss why Sinjar, Iraq, home to the Yazidi religious minority, which suffered immensely from the genocidal policies of the Islamic State, has become a recent flashpoint for the competing interests of Iraq, Turkey, Iran, and the various Kurdish groups active in the region. My conversation with Yazidi human rights activist Mirza Denai begins now. Mirza, welcome to On the Middle East. Thank you very much, Andrew. Let's start with culture and context. Tell us briefly about Sinjar, Iraq, its people, its culture, its geography, and especially about the Yazidi population that lives there. Uh, Sinjar is actually is a region, a district, belong to the Nineveh province on, on the northwestern side of Iraq, on the Syrian border. It's actually a forgotten area. Nobody hears uh, about the name of Sinjar because of two reasons. One of them, because the majority of the population in Sinjar, 90%, were Yazidis, uh, which is a small monotheistic religion in the pre-Islamic time, pre-Christianity time. Uh, and uh, this is one of the reasons. And it's a neglected area on the Syrian border. And without so real... Uh, natural or economy resources, so therefore nobody heard about uh, Sinjar until uh, 2014 as ISIS attacked the Yazidis and committed genocide crimes. And then the world has asked, the, uh, people have, have asked themselves why ISIS is, is targeting exactly this small minority. Then everybody tried to uh, see and read what are the Yazidis. And Yazidis actually uh, is a, a small monotheistic religion. So actually, it's about 5,000 years old. They are indigenous people of Mesopotamia. They believe on one God. Our grandparents, uh, our grandfathers in the past, they believed on the sun. Sun is playing a very strong role in our religion because they were sun believers or sun worshippers. Unfortunately, um, in the last thousand years, Yazidis were victims of uh, many genocides in that time uh, because uh, according to the, to the Islamic, uh, so radical Islamic version, let's say, uh, Yazidis are somehow uh, infidel or uh, are devil worshipper. And this, uh, the Yazidis have been accused because of that Although the Yazidis are uh, believing on one God, but they believe that the, 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 their vision to the philosophy, to the creation of the world is a little bit different than the Abrahamic uh, religion. So Yazidi believe that the God created himself and then the world, that there are seven angels. There is no devil or there is no bad angels. All seven angels are ruling the world. And the hate of those angels is the, is the God or Tausimalek. This is the problem that is making 
uh, uh, making uh, misunderstanding by other people. And it is a very peaceful religion, uh, religion because Yazidi are non-missionary religion. So you cannot be Yazidi. You should be from both parent sides a Yazidi to be accepted as a Yazidi. Uh, there are also, uh, so uh, inside Iraq, Iraq, there are about 500 to 600,000 Yazidis, but Yazidi are also in Syria, uh, in Turkey, they were uh, a lot of Yazidi, they have been killed or Islamized and, and, uh, and, and expelled from their area. And we have a community in Armenia and Georgia, small communities in Armenia and Georgia who escaped from the Ottoman Empire at that time. 200 or 250 years ago. And uh, now the second biggest Yazidi community is actually in Germany. We have about 200,000 Yazidis in Germany. In, uh, in US state, we have also a small community in Canada and other European countries who are originally actually from Iraq or Syria or Turkey. There's a, a Sinjar district in Iraq in, in uh, Nineveh province is referred to as disputed between the Kurdistan region and the federal government. Tell us what that means, and does that impact uh, the situation of Yazidis and others living in Sinjar? Uh, definitely, yes. Uh, after the fall of Saddam regime, actually Sinjar was like other disputed areas in between uh, between Iraqi government and Kurdish government or Kurdish revolution was the whole time one of the disputed areas beside Kirkuk, uh, Mahmur, Khanaqin and these areas. And because Sinjar was a disputed area, also according to the uh, Iraqi uh, uh, constitution paragraph 140, the, the future of Sinjar had, had to be defined in a, according to this paragraph, uh, uh, either to be part of uh, Iraq or to be part of Kurdistan regional uh, area. Uh, but the, the problem is that because of this dispute, uh, neither the Iraqi government nor the, 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 the Kurdish authority could do or had or did uh, a lot of development in this area. Therefore, Sinjar was in the whole time neglected by the government in the whole time. For example, uh, between so after, uh, after the fall of Saddam regime, uh, in Mosul province boycott the, the Sinjar. So there was no budget for more than five years uh, uh, spent in, 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 in Sinjar. Nothing, uh, no rebuilding, nothing. So this was the uh, biggest uh, challenge after um, ISIS uh, has attacked this uh, region, 90% of the people escaped from Sinjar. So we had a population of about 400,000 and about 380,000 escaped from ISIS um, and the whole region was completely empty until, uh, until uh, so except the, the, some some uh, mount area because Sinjar is not only a region, so Sinjar also a mount. And the mount is about 50 kilometer long and about wide is about six, seven kilometer. And there were some villages on the mount where the IDP uh, were displaced from the villages and went there. But 90% of the population escaped to Kurdistan or escaped outside of Iraq. So uh, uh, after liberation of uh, Sinjar, 
it became uh, again because it's a border area because it's an area direct to to Syria became a conflict area between the different militias who are ruling there so the dispute was not solved and became more complicated I want to get into the details of that, but I think we it, it would be worthwhile to spend just a few minutes talking about what happened in 2014 when the Islamic State moved into the district, as well as other parts of Iraq. Tell us what, what happened, the plight of the Yazidi people under the Islamic State, the genocide uh, that they implemented, and how that has affected the community. Uh, in, on the 3rd of August 2014, ISIS uh, attacked systematically uh, a Yazidi region in Sinjar, the whole Yazidi villages. They killed at least, uh, we don't have exact numbers, about 10,000 people. Uh, they committed, um, we have now more than 80 mass graves around Sinjar. Uh, some of them have been exhumed in last time. But the majority of these mass graves are still there since eight years. The bones of those victims on the ground, because uh, the UN agencies and the Iraqi government, they didn't do uh, their job correctly. And they are uh, elongating the procedure of exhuming and identifying those victims. Besides these 10,000 people who have been killed uh, in in Sinjar and people missed. Uh, ISIS also has captured more than 6,500 women and children. They killed the men uh, and uh, collectively and uh, enslaved women and children. And you hear definitely uh, the story of the uh, thousands of Yazidi uh, women, girl who have been uh, enslaved and sold inside the so-called Islamic State. Uh, and uh, and the, the Yazidi people uh, had to, unfortunately, in the 21st century, to rebuy their uh, uh, their women, their wives, or or daughter or sister. They have to 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 buy their the, buy them back to get them free from ISIS. Uh, ISIS committed um, uh, a very. Uh, 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 very clear uh, uh, the genocide and crimes against humanity because uh, ISIS um, was thinking uh, that uh, Yazidis are originally infidel people who, uh, who are not believing in Islam and are not believing and not part of both Abrahamic religions, Christian and Judaism. So they're supposed to be uh, infidels therefore uh, killing men, enslaving women, enslaving the people, and uh, is is legitimate for 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 ISIS according to their Sharia. Uh, and um, the 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 P the people escaped from uh, from Sinjar, uh, just as I said before. So about three hundred eighty thousand people escaped from Sinjar, and um, and have been displaced to the Kurdistan regional area in different IDP camps where they are living since August uh, nine, uh, 2014 until today, unfortunately, in very miserable situation in the IDP camps in, in, in Kurdistan. And uh, they didn't have the opportunity, some of them returned back about 30 or 40% uh, 
uh, returned back after uh, 2016 and 17, after the liberation process was uh, finished in, in Sinjar, they uh, went back, but because of different political issues, the rest of them cannot uh, go back. So the, the Yazidi population is the majority now are still refugee and displaced in some areas outside of their own region. Give us a little context about what the political disputes are now between Baghdad and Erbil uh, around the district. There was an agreement between uh, the, the Iraqi Kurdistan regional government and Baghdad in 2020, the Sinjar Agreement, which was supposed to address many of these issues. But what you're telling us is they aren't being addressed and many people aren't still going home. Well, the, the, uh, Sinjar is no more is no more uh, uh, um, an internal or a domestic problem. It is no more uh, a dispute between uh, Erbil and Baghdad. Actually, now Sinjar is a dispute between different countries. We have the influence of Turkey and Iran. We have the militias backed by these groups uh, and uh, these states. We are interfering in the matter of Sinjar from different states. So that Sinjar became a, uh, an, a, strate a strategic area. Uh, therefore, we have uh, uh, various groups of militias who are there. Some, some of these militias are somehow uh, have some affiliation to PKK. Some of them actually are normal Iraqi citizens who became part of PMU, Hajj Shabi, uh, or some of them are uh, foreign fighters. So therefore, the Mount Sinjar is now no more. Uh, uh, my opinion that they are no, there is, it is no more uh, only uh, a dispute between Baghdad and Erbil. Therefore, as the Sinjar agreement was signed, if we can't call it as agreement, uh, as was signed, only two part, uh, partners, so the Iraqi government and the KRG, they have signed this, uh, this agreement. And to 70 or 80 percent of the content of this agreement was very positive uh, uh, toward the stabilization uh, of the region and bringing uh, uh, peace and, and sustainability to that region. But the problem is that the majority of Yazidis the, who are actually the people of Sinjar or Shingal, they haven't been asked about the details of this agreement. So the Yazidis were not part of this kind of agreement. Therefore, the people who were in Shingal, they were not that happy with the content of the agreement. The first, uh, this is the first challenge. The second challenge was there was some point in, in inside the agreement uh, we know that there are different militias, and some of these militias have in in a, in a kind of an affiliation to PKK, or they are not PKK themselves, but they they have uh, helped uh, Iraq. They have helped uh, uh, civilians to get free from from uh, from ISIS, and they secured a corridor between the Mount and Syria and KRI. Uh, to 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 liberate about one hundred thousand uh, Yazidi civilian who stuck on the mount in August two thousand fourteen. So those fighters, 
they feel themselves as a part of this area because they are actually uh, normal yeah, um, volunteers. They were normal volunteers who, who were fighting beside the Iraqi army, beside Peshmerga forces, beside uh, the other Hajj Shabi groups uh, to liberate the area from ISIS. Now those groups, because uh, Turkey would like to expel all of them, without to have any agenda of disarmament. And you know, the international experiences, if you have different militias and different armed group, and you have these different armed group, thousands of the people are joining them because they get salary, they get some support, and you go there and want as a government or as a state, you want to solve that problem, you should find an opportunity uh, for those people in order uh, either to integrate them in some some kind of institutions or offer them a kind of job or opportunity to live. But the, 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 the agreement in the text, and I don't know that if, 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 if the drafter or of the maker of this agreement were, about, were aware about that. So the, the, the message that came to the those population uh, uh, that this agreement will expel all of them outside of the country with, without to giving them uh, an, an open corridor in order to be integrated within the within the uh, within the normal uh, institutions, Iraqi institution or Kurdish institution or Kurdish forces. So uh, and and that that um, that was a, a very hard reaction from those groups against the agreement. Besides that, because the Iranian and the, uh, the, the influence of, of Iranian-backed group, because they wanted to keep that corridor with Syria, the Iranian were not interested to, for, to, to implement such, such uh, agreement. And uh, uh, some racist Arabic groups who uh, didn't like to have the influence of the Kurdish parties in that area, they were also against the agreement. And the Yazidi people are actually helpless and hopeless because the Yazidis, they cannot, uh, uh, they, they, they don't have any influence on the Iraqi politic. They don't have any influence on the Kurdish politic. The, the Iraq has no national agenda for the, uh, for the stabilization and uh, uh, transitional justice and rebuilding. So, we stuck in that problem that the dispute cannot be solved. Every party uh, want to implement all things without to make any kind negotiable. So therefore, we stop here since 2020 and even before the situation in Sinjar was not better because of that. Your analysis of the regionalization of, of the Sinjar issue is one that I think is uh, we've covered very closely here at O-Monitor. The most recent uh, confrontation escalation has been between Iraqi security forces and the Sinjar resistance units, the YBS, which you have said have, um, as you explained, have had uh, support in the past from the Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK. And this has also stirred tensions with, with Turkey and to an extent the, the KDP. Uh, but how do you see this, this current confrontation and do the Yazidi people want to be uh, affiliated and linked and integrated uh, with the Iraqi state or is there some uh, other kind of uh, autonomy that they may be seeking? 
well, what, what the Yazidis are asking actually because they lost this trust to the state. So they feel themselves uh, somehow uh, with, uh, unprotected by the state. So Yazidis have asked uh, all the time uh, that uh, Sinjar should be a kind of, uh, somehow a kind of autonomy or a self-administration area with the people of Sinjar, maybe a, a, a new province uh, has to be established with some guarantee. So this will encourage the people to return back. It's a normal right of the people who survived the genocide. So we have a small indigenous uh, group who live here since 5,000 years, and they, ha they, ha they have been victimized thousand times and the genocide this is not the first genocide this is a 20 this is the 74th genocide that the Yazidi were suffering from so now Yazidi feel that feel that the the, the responsibility of the international community the responsibility of Iraqi state is to establish somehow of a kind of administration and stabilization a statute in this area uh, to encourage those people to return back to, to, to the region. Uh, Iraqi state and KRG has to uh, find an, an outcome, uh, but uh, with the advice and with the opinion of the Yazidi people, what the Yazidi people would like to have. And since um, the rest of the disputed areas is still unsolved, so Iraq generally has to find a solution for all disputed areas, not only Sinjar. Mirza, we're almost out of time. Tell us about the House of Coexistence in, in Sinjar, which you are uh, founding. Um, well, in 2019, I won the Aurora Prize for Awakening Humanity uh, for my uh, engagement in humanitarian field and especially on helping uh, ISIS victims, women and children specifically. And uh, I decided to donate uh, that money prize uh, to, build a, to build a cultural center in Sinjar because this is an area where a genocide has been committed, has been committed. So I established a, a cultural house about 1,200 square meter with a public garden of two and a half hectare. Uh, I symbolized the, all the component of Iraqi, the eight religions of Iraq uh, in, in, in big symbols inside this garden. And this, will, this place, House of Coexistence, will be an independent foundation in order to promote peace, coexistence, reconciliation, rebuilding of the area. So. This is what uh, uh, I thought that the area is needed because uh, the infrastructure in Sinjar is very poor. And in this area, the people of the young people, women uh, uh, and, and, uh, and the different communities uh, can implement different projects in order to promote such kind of peace and, and uh, sustainable projects in that area. This is the House of Coexistence. And therefore I called it House of Coexistence in order to show that even the Yazidis house are, are after the genocide and the people of Sinjar are still peaceful, are still one together in brotherhood and in solidarity with Muslim, with Christian, with everybody, every component, with the Turkmen, with the Mendea, with uh, uh, all component of, of, of Iraq. Mirza, this was really enlightening for me and, and for our listeners today. 
it was great to hear from you and to help us understand what's happening in Sinjar and to learn about the important work uh, that you are doing as a, as a leader uh, on these issues and with the Yazidi community in Iraq and internationally. Thank you for joining us today on, on the Middle East. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. We will return after this short break. Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. Thanks to our guest, Mirza Denai, and our production team of Beowulf Rockland and Rosabel Hine of Two Squared Media Productions. We will be back next week. And if you haven't done so, please sign up for all three of our podcasts at your favorite podcast platform. Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. Gilles' guest this month is Nobel Prize winning novelist Orhan Pamuk. On Israel with Ben Caspit. Ben speaks this week with Israeli Holocaust Memorial Chairman Danny Diane. And of course, this podcast on the Middle East, where Amber and Zaman will be here next week with another decision maker or thought leader in the region. Thank you all for listening, and please keep up with all of the news and trends in the Middle East at elmonitor.com. <laughs>